There's a lot of people who are still dealing with illness tonight, so continue to pray that we get the victory (laughs) over all that's going around, and uh, I know God will give it to us. We're going to turn to um, James chapter 5, verse 16, spend a few minutes in the word of the Lord. I'm thankful for everyone who's here, and the Lord is, I believe, wanting to encourage us about prayer again. Last week we talked about delivering prayer, how that we have a ministry of deliverance through prayer, and tonight we're going to talk about prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer. And James 5.16 gives us encouragement. It says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And that's a good part of the verse to study sometime, but it's not what we're focusing on tonight. We're focusing on the last phrase. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So there's a few things there. Number one, it's fervent prayer. It's not passive, weak prayer. Fervent prayer is a passionate prayer. It's it's not giving up easily. And if we're going to be fervent in prayer, it's going to be effective. And it's going to avail much. And... When it says a righteous man, obviously it means women as well. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Amen. So we're going to just talk about that for a few minutes tonight. Again, I really believe God wants to encourage us in our prayers to keep praying. Don't give up. Your prayers make a difference. Amen. So let's just ask the Lord to help us tonight to be encouraged. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for the next few moments we're just going to spend in your word tonight. I know everyone here has something else they could be doing tonight. So I believe you're going to bless them for being here. You're going to bless them for coming to the house of the Lord. And Lord, we know that some are not feeling well tonight. So we pray you'll uh, touch them where they are and that you'll give strength to their body. You'll heal them, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Lord, tonight, just help us to be encouraged, everyone who's here, that every time we get on our knees and pray, or every time we're driving down the road and we choose to pray, or the posture is not as important as the the function of our heart to, to pray with passion and to pray fervently that your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And let it start in us, Lord God. Tonight, you would help me to communicate in a way that would encourage everyone who's listening that you hear our prayers and that you will answer our prayers in time if we will just continue to pray, continue to press through all the opposition through your grace and pray, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to talk about a little history in the beginning here tonight, specifically Uh, The Napoleonic Wars, which happened in Europe from 1792 till 1815. So that's about a, uh, what, 23-year reign of terror where Napoleon Bonaparte went through Europe and tried to tear it apart. (laughs) 
And uh, Napoleon is famous, but that ice cream was not named after him. That's Neapolitan. This is Napoleon. It's a little bit different. <laughs> a little bit different. But Napoleon was bent on establishing his very own empire. He was quite a tyrant and he rose quickly through the ranks in the French army due to his natural talents for leadership and the ranks of the French army due to his natural talent for leadership and strategy. With age, his ambitions grew more lofty and by his late 20s, he, was, he had forced all of France's continental opponents to submit. So think about that. By his late 20s, he had forced all of France's continental opponents to submit. Quite a rise, a quick rise. And Napoleon enjoyed great success until 1812, and he made a fatal mistake in attacking Russia. <laughs> his, his efforts were to punish them for abandoning a crucial economic alliance, but his campaign ended in humiliating retreat from Moscow. And this was a turning point in Napoleon's dream of total conquest in Europe. Napoleon abdicated in 1814 and was exiled to the Mediterranean island of Elba. And then after a short-lived escape, returned to the power in March of 1815, only to have Britain and its allies defeat him at the Battle of Waterloo. Some of you probably already knew that. History buffs. But as we look at a chart here that's on the PowerPoint, this is uh, Charles Minard's graph that shows on the thick part of the tan on the left-hand side, that tan line there, was the size of, of Napoleon's army when he crossed over into Russia. That thick part there. And there was somewhere around 678,000 men. You see, he kind of went in, he kind of sent a few up north, if that was the direction, I don't know, but a few off to the side there. And as they marched towards Moscow, it just got thinner and thinner and thinner. And then the black line is where they turned around and started retreating. And you notice it keeps getting thinner and thinner and thinner until when they exited the same place they entered, you see the difference between the tan thickness and the black thickness there. And anyone listening, just look up Charles Minard's, M-I-N-A-R-D, his graph, and it'll show you. But that was how they entered. That was how they exited. They went from about 678,000 men to somewhere between 10 and 30,000 men by the time they left. Leaving in defeat. And it wasn't so much the Russian army that defeated them with all their tactics. It was more that the Russians just held out during the winter and were used to the winter and they cut off Napoleon's supply lines and his army literally starved and froze to death. In a historical novel titled Napoleon and Blücher, I'm guessing I'm saying that right, 
Louis Molbach begins with these words. It was a fine warm day in May of 1812. The world was groaning under the yoke of Napoleon's tyranny. But this was the last year this would be the case. Because when he lifted his hand against Russia, as we said, things took a turn. And here is a dialogue between Napoleon's nemesis, the Prussian General Gebhard von Blücher, and one of his direct reports, General Skarnhorst. Sorry if I'm butchering these names. Has Napoleon obtained a great victory? Asked the general. No, general, said Scharnhorst solemnly. God has obtained a great victory. Blucher raised his hand and laid his clay pipe slowly on the table. What do you mean, general? He asked. What do you mean by saying God has obtained a great victory? I mean to say that he sent his field troops, whom even Napoleon was unable to defeat. What troops do you refer to, General? I refer to the cold, the snow, the ice, the howling storm blowing from Siberia like the angry voice of heaven, striking down men and beasts alike. And these troops of God have defeated Napoleon? They have, General. Blucher uttered a cry and jumped from his chair, drawing himself to full height. The troops of God have defeated Napoleon, he exclaimed. I have always believed in divine justice. Slow sometimes, but sure. Tell me everything, my friend. Every single detail, he said as he sank back into his chair, quite overwhelmed by what he had heard. The Russians won by staying in the fight. By standing their ground, and God did the rest. And it's that way in our lives sometimes. If we will simply stand our ground, God will do his part, and the enemy will be defeated. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God's word that proceeds out of his mouth will not return void. The promises he gives us in prayer, we need to continue to pray for. And if we will pray the word of God, may I say, humbly, obviously, not saying we are God, but if we pray his word, 
It is as if his word is going forth out of his mouth because we are his body, right? So how powerful the understanding that if we will pray his word, it cannot return void. It can't return void. I know that's hard for us to grasp, kind of like on Sunday, the love of God. It's hard for us to really believe that. But if the word goes forth from his mouth and we say the same word from our mouth, it can't return void. And God is looking for people to open their mouth and utter his word. The rain and the snow alike. And we heard in the story just now the the bitter cold and destroyed Napoleon's army. And certainly this winter we are tired of wet and cold. We've dealt with a lot more rain than snow. But both can be destructive at times. But if we'll just wait around, we need that water. We need that rain. We need that snow. And when we feel cold and numb in our heart, like a storm is all around us, even in that time, God is still working. Just like snow preserves dormant seeds until spring, that's what God is doing in our lives when we can't see Him at work. He's building things in us. He's growing things in us. And we need to continue to pray. Job 23. Job 23.8 is a place that we can identify with at certain seasons of our life. Those cold times when it seems like the presence of God is not as active in our lives and we are spiritually cold. He says in chapter 23 verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. Backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job couldn't perceive him, but by faith he knew that God was fully aware of everything going on in his life. And that God was ultimately going to bring him out. And he was able to do that because he esteemed the words of God more than his necessary food. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1. After Daniel went on his 21-day fast that we emulate today at times, God gave him a grand vision. God gives us dreams in our individual lives. And God has given our church some grand vision for our area. And we're determined not to settle for less. A revival of multitudes is our vision. It doesn't mean they all have to be members of our church. 
They can be saved in other churches as they obey the gospel. If they do what the word of God says and obey the gospel, they repent, get baptized in Jesus' name, fill with the Holy Ghost, and live for God. It doesn't matter if they're part of our church or not. They can be saved. But I believe our church is going to see a great revival. God has given us that vision and he's confirmed it through multiple voices. And Daniel 10.1 says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel. This grand vision was given, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true. Here's the part that we don't like as much. But the time appointed was long. We like the thing was true and it happened immediately. But the time appointed was long. It was going to take some time to come to pass. And I don't believe waiting on the Lord is a passive thing. Waiting on the Lord is doing everything we know to do, trusting that He will do the rest. But continuing to do what I know to do, and trusting Him for the rest. That's waiting on the Lord. Young William Wilberforce, using several stories tonight, I hope you don't mind, but William Wilberforce was discouraged one night and early 1790s after another defeat in his 10-year battle against the slave trade in England. Amazing grace, if you haven't seen it, will give you some insight to who William Wilberforce is. Tired and frustrated, he opened his Bible and began to leaf through it. I love reading history when they open their Bible. Isn't it just cool? (laughs) They read their Bible in history, despite what they try to tell us. They op- he opened his Bible and began to leaf through it. That would solve a lot of problems if we would learn when we're frustrated to open the Bible. A small piece of paper fell out and fluttered to the floor. It was a letter written by John Wesley shortly before his death. Wilberforce read it again. During this time of discouragement, these words pierced his soul. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing the abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion of England and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God before you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go in the name of God and in the power of His might. See, it's not just going to be human effort. I'm not telling us tonight that we just need to try harder by ourselves. That won't work. But if God is for us, 
And I believe he is as we surrender to him. Anybody who asks him to be, he will be. He's for anyone who will ask him to be for them and who trusts fully in him. And if we will simply trust fully in him, the combination of all of our adversaries are certainly not even close to the strength of God. It is his power that leads us to victory. It is his might. And we may think our efforts are meager, but let me share one more illustration with you from uh, a book called Pastoral Grit. Brian Larson writes, In 1972, NASA launched the exploratory space probe Pioneer 10. It's going to be a quiz after this lesson. All this history, you're going to have to take a quiz. No notes. I won't give you a quiz. Don't worry. I would have to pronounce everything right to give you a quiz. According to Leon Jareff in Time Magazine, the satellite's primary mission was to reach Jupiter, where the boys go to get stupider, right? <laughs> little playground rhyme. You don't remember that? Okay, okay. Sorry. Its primary mission was to go to Jupiter. It didn't say that in Time Magazine about being stupider. But anyways. <laughs> to photograph the planet and its moons. And to beam data to Earth about Jupiter's magnetic field, radiation belts, and atmosphere. Scientists regarded this as a bold plan. For at that time, no Earth satellite had ever gone beyond Mars. And they feared the asteroid belt would destroy the satellite before it could reach its target. But Pioneer 10 accomplished its mission and much, much more. Swinging past the giant planet in November of 1973, Jupiter's immense gravity hurled Pioneer 10 at a higher rate of speed toward the edge of the solar system. At one billion miles from the sun, this is, figures are getting hard to comprehend, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. At some two billion miles, it hurled past Uranus. Neptune at nearly three billion miles. Pluto at almost four billion miles. And by 1997, let's see what, 73 to 97, what would it be, 24 years approximately? Pioneer 10 was more than six billion miles from the sun. And despite that immense distance, Pioneer 10 continued to beam back radio signals to scientists on Earth. Perhaps most remarkable, writes Jeriff, those signals emanated from an 8-watt transmitter, which radiates about as much power as a bedroom nightlight and takes more than nine hours to reach Earth. The little satellite that could... (laughs) was not qualified to do what it did. Engineers designed Pioneer 10 with a useful life of just three years. But it kept going and going by simple longevity. Its tiny 8-watt transmitter radio accomplished more than anyone thought possible. So it is when we offer ourselves to serve the Lord. God can work through someone with an 8-watt ability. 
Some, <laughs> I'm not calling anybody dim. A senior light bulb is dim. But even if I only have eight watts, God can work through me. God cannot work, however, through someone who quits. God can do nothing in someone who quits. God wants to do amazing things through us. And I feel like I say that a lot and hopefully people don't get tired of hearing me say it. But it's because I believe it with all my heart. God wants to do amazing things in our church. And we don't need to compare ourselves to others. We don't need to compare ourselves to the past. We just need to believe God for doing great things. And it's not about our strength. It's about His It's about staying in the fight. I know one way we will never see it happen, and that's if we quit. And that's why the enemy tries everything possible to cause us to quit. Because he knows even a person who makes all kinds of mistakes, even a dim light bulb, even someone whose life is fractured and messed up, as long as they keep on letting Jesus use them as long as they keep on praying God is going to do great things in their life and we all have friends and loved ones who need to be saved one day George Muller as I close prayed for began praying for five of his friends after many months one of them came to the Lord Ten years later, two more became Christians. It took 25 years for the fourth friend to give in and surrender. And Muller persevered in prayer until his death for that fifth friend. And throughout those 52 years, he never gave up hope praying for the one who held out. And his faith was rewarded for soon after his funeral, the fifth friend finally gave up and gave his life to Christ. Would we pray for 52 years? (laughs) Believing that God can do it. I believe we will. I'm just encouraging us that we're not crazy for doing it. (laughs) Obviously, you're here on a Tuesday night. You could be elsewhere, but you're here. So that shows you believe it. And so tonight, let us be encouraged in what we are doing to continue doing it. Even if we don't see the results we want to see today, just keep praying. Keep praying. And eventually... This sanctuary is going to be too small. Because this place will be full of souls that are being transformed by the power of God. But it takes people standing in the gap to make it happen. It takes people saying, I'm going to keep on praying until something happens. And then I'll pray until it happens for someone else. And then for someone else. And for someone else. Some of us have friends who maybe they've made some strides towards the Lord. 
And we need to continue praying for them because there's something about when someone starts getting closer to the Lord, what happens? The enemy causes distractions and tries to get them to fail and fall and give up and on themselves. And as people are trying to live for God, not only do we need to pray for them, but we need to reach out and help them and constantly encourage them. You're going to make it. God loves you. You messed up? Yes, but... Repent and move on. Move forward. Don't worry about it. Don't live at that address. Move on. And as we do that, again, we're going to see great things happen. Amen. Any questions or comments tonight?